now remain standing for the reading of the word. You know, sometimes when we sing a, a hymn like that, um, I feel like, well, there's the sermon, so I can just, you know, give the benediction, let's just go home. Uh, every, you have everything here. <laughs> it's <laughs> the essential worship of God. Uh, and this is what we see in the Exodus chapter 20, uh, which <clears throat> positioned in the book of Exodus is, is very interesting because uh, the people have been brought out uh, of the bondage of the house of uh, slavery. They have celebrated Passover. They have been gathered to, to God um, as a people. They haven't quite uh, uh, subscribed the covenant, the national covenant, but they're on their way. But first they need to understand who God is, and as God promised Moses, he would meet uh, with his people back here at that very mountain, Mount Sinai. And there he revealed himself, and there he visits his people, and there his people uh, may uh, draw near to God. Now, this is a very picture uh, of the very purpose of the redemption from Israel. God did not redeem a people out from the house of slavery from Pharaoh uh, just to let them go free. Liberty is not, <laughs> is not the issue here. I mean, that's not the whole purpose. Yes, they're free, but now they're free to what? To, to, to befriend God, to enjoy God, to, to, to share the, the common life of God and, and with, each other, with each other. So what we have here, my friends, is probably um, the most basic model for, for worship. Uh, granted, it, it does have still, because it's Old Testament, necessarily has a tinge, a tinge still of ceremonialism and um, of, of the shadowy elements. Nevertheless, uh, we can speak to those shadowy elements of the ceremonial law, not yet given, but still in practice, as this is the, uh, the universal practice of all the patriarchs in the, in the Old Testament. They worship God by blood sacrifice. They worship God in reverential fear and by faith. All of this is, is already in place, and uh, Moses, uh, by the mouth of God, will, will make it plain to the people that this is the way we worship God, and no other way. Uh, but besides the tinge of the ceremonial, we see here base, the most basic worship of God. These elements really have to be in place. And, and without this basic pattern of worship, I, I, don't, I don't read where God can be pleased, uh, especially if it's led by leaders in the church who, who are not ignorant. They, they profess maturity as leaders. Uh, supposedly there's gifts and graces in the leadership of the church. If they can't see this and leading the church, the church before God, I don't know. I don't know what kind of worship God is receiving. So we need to be very careful because uh, uh, today we, we have a lot of different kinds of, uh, of worship. Some people claim that it is a matter of style. You be the judge whether that be the case or not. Uh, if the moral element is there, if the rock bottom, the bedrock, essential worship of God is there. The universal, perpetual, and moral, Catholic worship of God is there. That's acceptable worship. So we will examine this as a very, very important, very, very important passage. And uh, of course, uh, now that we conclude with the Lord's table, uh, we see this as very apropos, apropos because uh, the Lord enjoins uh, there at Sinai, the elders to come forward and dine with the Lord, Moses, Aaron, and, and the elders. And so, obviously, obviously, Israel is at peace with God. God is a friend of Israel and to Israel. And this is what we have today. So, you see, this is a, a most universal, perpetual, moral continuance of the essential worship of God today. So, let's uh, read our text. It'll be uh, Exodus 20, verses 21 through 26. But uh, uh, we, we can't we can't we can't have these verses lifted out of this context. I'll make I'll make reference to the context later. I'm not going to read it. But uh, let's begin reading with verse 21 of chapter 20. Is that right? Exodus 20 verses 21 to 26. Uh, let's let's begin with uh, verse 18. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet. And the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. 
And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Now, and the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the people of Israel, you've seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings, and your peace offerings, your sheep, and your oxen. And every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Now some of these things may be, seem very strange to you, so uh, let's pray that the Lord will, will help us to understand his text. Let's pray. Lord, now as you have offered, as you have authored this text, I pray that you would explain it to us, uh, enlighten our minds, and, and enlarge our hearts, that we will receive all with understanding and love, and that we might give you worship and that we might give you worship that is in spirit and in truth, as you delight in. So help the preaching and help the hearing. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Here's the teaching. Jehovah your God is a most holy spirit. Jehovah your God is a most holy spirit. You must worship him only in the manner he himself commands, and he is commanded to be worshiped only through a mediator. Let me say this again. Jehovah, your God, is a most holy spirit. You must worship him only in the manner in which he himself commands, and he is commanded to be always worshipped through a mediator. Now, it, I, I, will, I hope that you can see that this is already uh, what the churches, the Reformed churches especially, understand about the worship of God everywhere in, uh, in their articles of, of confession and their creedal statements. First point, significantly covered this evening, excuse me, this morning, I will, I will go very quickly. I didn't know I was going to preach this and coincident with this sermon. But here it is. Jehovah your God is a most holy spirit, and he has revealed himself to Israel uh, at Mount Sinai. This is a true uh, and, and a sufficient revelation for God's worship. All right? He is the true God and... Uh, and the people might truly know the true God, even though in his essence he's incomprehensible. Uh, we may understand few, uh, the things about him that are, are, are sufficient for salvation and life with God. He has revealed himself at Mount Sinai, and yet, and yet, being a spirit and being holy, and uh, much redemptive history, much redemptive uh, work yet to be done by uh, the, son, the coming of his son later, prophesied in the scriptures, and then in the Holy Spirit. Uh, yet Jehovah is not fully revealed as he will be fully revealed in the New Testament. In the New Testament, when Christ commissions his apostles, go therefore to all nations, teaching them all, all things that I have taught you, uh, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There we have a full revelation. And nothing else need be added. No other prophetic word is necessary. They are to be, uh, the church is to have the apostolic uh, faith, uh, the, the apostolic understanding as they receive from Jesus, and no other understanding. All the epistles basically are explaining Jesus' teaching to his disciples. Jesus is the final word. The apostles received the final word, they were commissioned, and so that's the full revelation. That's why we have a whole Bible here. And we dare not take from it, and we dare not add to it. And, but so, so Jehovah is not fully revealed, and, and as an emblem of this, Jehovah is wrapped and thick darkness. This is a, a word that's, that's uh, I believe, is, is used once in the Hebrew Bible, and it and it means, uh, yeah, very very thick. It's an opaque dark darkness. You cannot see through this. God wrapped Himself with this darkness uh, that He might not be uh, curiously pried into. He's not ready to show Himself as it were. 
The people then saw no form. The people saw no image. Man is truly in the image of God. Moses writes in the first chapter of his first book. But that image is not physical. That image is spiritual and moral. And it deals with knowledge. It deals with integrity. It deals with righteousness and all that. But uh, there is a God himself, his spirit. That must be understood because the nations are, have perverted the worship of God and they insist on having God represented somehow and some way. Okay? Jehovah God is a spirit. He is invisible to the human eye. He is not sensed with the eye. Now, he's heard with the ear because he's revealed his voice. And the effects of uh, his presence and spirit in visiting his people are everywhere apparent. Uh, but uh, that is to be discerned um, other than by, by seeing him directly. Jehovah God is not fully revealed. But his, and his covenant people, because uh, he has kept himself back from a full incarnational uh, revelation as he does in the New Testament, as in, in the birth of our Lord, as in his uh, resurrection, as we saw this morning, his covenant people, uh, Israel, must keep their distance. This is a, a big difference between what we saw the Marys do when they saw, when they saw Jesus appear after his resurrection. Immediately, they ran to him and <laughs> fell before him grabbed his ankles. You know, that, it's wonderful. Uh, but here, no. No. It's not that God has changed, in essence. He remains holy. It's just the nature of progressive revelation, the redemptive revelation, uh, where uh, when the mediator becomes incarnate, he draws close to such a degree uh, that um, we have that, that familiarity. We have uh, then the injection of the fuller meaning, the fuller doctrine of adoption of sons. It's there. Israel is, is God's adopted son, adopted nation. It's there. The doctrine of adoption is there nationally and individually, but still the, the, the depth and the breadth of it is not like in the New Testament, certainly. Um, his covenant people must keep their distance. The people are not as holy as Jehovah God is holy. Now there's, there's something that must be always remembered in all dispensations okay, of the covenant. There is an infinite dif difference, which means that in God sanctifying us, uh, the work uh, may be continual and uh, it may be ongoing, and no matter how holy and how godly we are, we might be holier and more godly. Uh, no matter how, how sanctified we are, we could be more consecrated. No matter how much knowledge we have, we might have more knowledge. I, it's, it's very humbling. Uh, after all these years, amassing so many uh, books and all that, and all the, all the pages read, I, I, feel, I feel like I've just begun. And, and, and I'm not being, this is not false humility. The, the mountain is still high, and it, it appears to be, from my vantage point, even steeper than I first counted. And that's because, my friends, not because you are less holy experientially, it's because you finally realize the, the depth of your own sin, the depravity of your heart before you, you suspected, yes, uh, I believe that my heart is wicked, but now you have felt it, now you have experienced it, now you've also experienced the dread of the, the holy presence of God, and you don't dare, you don't dare go up that rock, except on the terms provided by the Lord Jesus. Because you know what awaits you, rebuke and wrath, unless you ascend in the name of Christ and in Christ. Reverential worship, then, is do God people, um, and rejoicing with trembling, again, that's this morning's sermon. I don't have to repeat myself there. God is the same today, and we are to revere God in a holy filial fear. That is to say, a, a son-like a son fear. The son, it may be said true of the Lord Jesus, that none feared God the Father. None feared God the Father more than Jesus Christ, the prophet of Nazareth. And if Jesus had the fear of God, the fear of Isaac, uh, certainly we, we should. Uh, we see that because his obedience to the will of his Father was absolute, precise, consistent, and took the preeminence and took uh, the supremacy of his life. And that's what we mean 
Uh, that's the effects that we see when someone truly fears God. We give him that glory of weight, and we, we bend our wills to his. Jehovah then God is, is a most holy spirit, and that is a moral element to be kept in all the churches and worship today. Regard that. Second point, Jehovah can only be approached through his appointed mediator. Jehovah can only be approached through his appointed mediator. Jehovah can only be, um, he, he does appoint a mediator, and he appoints precisely one. Out of the whole brotherhood of, the, of Israel, they're all one blood. Out of all their brothers, one is chosen. And that's, of course, we see how that comes through Jesus uh, from, the line of, from the line of Judah. Moses, uh, Jehovah's chosen mediator, can come forward because of God's choice. And Moses, uh, Jehovah's chosen mediator, not only can, but he must. He must come forward. God will be worshipped. And, and he's a great king, and it's only right. And man in his, uh, in his image is a moral creature. And the essence of God uh, upholds moral integrity in his rational moral creatures. So every moral, rational creature knows, if he's upright, if he's righteous, that he is compelled. He is compelled to worship God. He's constrained. And if you're Christians, you're compelled to worship because the love of Christ compels you. I mean, the Spirit will drive you to worship God if you're a Christian. Moses, then, is a type of Christ as a mediator. Uh, he's a prophet. Jehovah, of course, plainly here, we see that Jehovah speaks to him. And he's spoken to the people, uh, but the people uh, see <laughs> they, they see the problem here. They, 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 it's tough to have an assembly of two million people around the base of a mountain um, and, and stand there while they hear a thundering voice from heaven. That, that's, that's hard on children and women, and, and even the stoutest man, okay? Jehovah speaks to uh, Moses. He will speak to the people, so he's a prophet. As a priest, Moses doesn't offer uh, sacrifices, blood sacrifices, but he does intercede and make supplication. Uh, and, and he goes before the people representing the people, and so therefore, as priests are representative that way, um, he is really a, a priest as well. Moses is a priest. I think one of the Psalms alludes, states as much. And, uh, and he is a type of king, a type of king or a type of judge. Judges are a type of king because he governs Jehovah's people according to the will of God. Um, although, although one difference, you know, we learned, we talked about in the adult Sunday school this morning, uh, Moses is not ordained to the office of a prophet or a priest uh, or a king, but uh, just by the word uh, of the Lord. Uh, so he governs and leads God's people as a king. He also uh, defends God's people, and he, and he, by the Lord's great help, subdues God's people under, under, uh, under him, under the nation. So this is very, very much a type of Christ, and what a mediator does in every way Having a mediator in the covenant of grace in every way triumphs uh, as to the salvation, secures in every way, and is a sufficient resource in every way to save God's people. If you have this able mediator between God and his people performing the, the, these offices, and, and he's not going to fail under God, then the people are saved. All right. Moses then represents God's people, Israel, to God as a mediator. And Moses represents God uh, to Israel, uh, God's people. So it's back ways. You'll, you'll, you'll see that in, at least in this form of worship, there's a dialogue between the congregation and God, uh, facilitated by an elder. And then uh, God speaks to the congregation, again, facilitated by a minister or an elder reading the scriptures. And so there's that. There's that conversation. That conversation is fellowship, and that conversation is prayer. And that's why it's called, uh, the church is, is called a house of prayer. Worship, essentially, is a communication of prayer, a house of prayer. Israel and his people witness that Jehovah speaks to them. He's different from the gods of the other nations. Our God speaks, and he's not silent. Our God has a will. 
and he makes his will known. Now, this is very much against the carnal mind that wants to manipulate God. And they, they, fallen mankind has, has, has an idea that their way is the right way, and they would bend their gods to the, do their will. They would manipulate their idols. But God is not like that. In fact, I'm told, I haven't examined all 2,400 religions of the world, but I'm told that the Judeo-Christian religion, the religion of the Bible, is the only one where God tells people what to do. Now, people are very adverse to be told what to do. There are many ministers in, in Reformed churches that, that will not tell people what to do. Oh, they'll read the words of the, of the Scriptures and let God tell them what to do. But as far as correcting persons and making application, they, they don't do it. Why? They know people don't like this. Children don't like to be corrected. Adults don't like to be corrected either. But that's who God is. And those are his ways. Those are his ways. He speaks because he is the living God. And that's what his name implies, is I am. Pure existence. Eternality. Being. Reason. Intelligence. Wisdom. God is the living God, the I am. And he speaks. He speaks because he, he's a God of fellowship in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He speaks because he loves his creation and he's made man for himself that he might enjoy him. And so he wants to enjoy his man. He wants to enjoy his redeemed uh, creature. A and so he speaks. And that's a great thing. We should love it when we hear God's voice in the Bible. We should love it when we hear God's voice in the preaching. When we hear God's voice in your neighbor correcting. When we hear God's voice in a, in a child asking for something good which you can reward him for. God speaks. He speaks primarily from heaven here on Mount Sinai and on earth through a mediator. And uh, the voice of the mediator is sometimes uh, expressed in the Old Testament through priests and their teaching and through uh, uh, kings and their decisions and decrees. But for the most part, the greater bulk of the speaking of God is done through the prophetic office. Okay, Today God speaks to you through the written word. The word read, the word uh, explained, the word preached, the word applied, uh, is the word of God. And that is, if it's true to the meaning of the text, that is God speaking to you. And so we, we listen. We listen. And so the ordained ministry is not an, an adjunct to the prophetic office. The ordained ministry is the continuing prophetic office. Now, I know that's hard. I know that's hard because, you know, even the Jews found incarnation hard. And Jesus was a perfect man. If the Jews found incarnation hard to believe, imagine how difficult the church has it to believe that their ministers are speaking the very word of God to them. And because ministers are, are, are errant, like Moses was. Moses is going to sin later on in this, in this book. Ministers sin. It's not, it's not even a gloss of a sin. It's, I mean, they, they trespass the law. And so they're, they're at the mercy of God, and that's why the, the high priesthood was changed over, uh, because uh, it wasn't perfect. But Christ is perfect. The order of Melchizedek. Levi, as a priesthood, will be changed over because of their imperfection. Uh, but the mediator here, Moses, is a, is a type of a stumbling block, and that Jesus was a, was a stumbling block to the Jews and speaking the word of God to them. All right. But uh, nevertheless, the, Israel as a whole nation is encamped about Israel, and they see God. They see his presence. They see the thundering mountains. They see the blaring trumpets. They see the smoke. They hear the voice. And so they are Jehovah's witness. I, I know. I know those two words kind of buzz in your head when you hear them. But that's exactly what they are. They are witnesses to the being of God. Moses says, you yourselves have seen. This is emphatic in the Hebrew, the, the grammar uh, construction. Jehovah's people on earth are essentially Jehovah's witness. Okay? Now, that, that, that name has been stolen and, and, run, and run off in a, in a crazy direction. Never mind that. But Acts chapter 1, verse 8, 
that's the charge that Jesus gives to his disciples. Wait, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power on high, and you shall be my witnesses into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. And that's what we remain. We are witnesses that what we hear and know, we know to be the truth. And uh, that is the apostolic creed. There is no other creed by which man, mankind will be saved. You yourselves have seen it. What they can witness to is that God himself is not a power. It's not a force. Uh, he's invisible, but he's personal. And uh, he may be approached. He has reason. Um, and, and God is, is one that, in, that, that, that enjoys fellowship. He enjoys communion. He uses language and words. God uses grammar, and so should we, by the way. We should use nouns and pronouns, adjectives, adverbs, direct objects, participles. Why? Well, God uses them. Nietzsche said that uh, as long as people study grammar, they will believe that God exists. Why? Because every language in the world has the same building blocks for communication. And so we ought to not deconstruct grammar. We ought, to, we, we ought to be careful in speaking as accurately as possible, not be sloppy. He has fellowship, he communicates, and he communicates well. Jehovah then wants you to draw near to him as his people. This is what he wants, but only through his appointed mediator. That is to say, his, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's plain from the book of Hebrews, and that's, uh, it becomes very evident in the New Testament, but here it's only given... Uh, in part. Jehovah can only be approached through his appointed mediator. No mediation, no worship. Now ask some of your friends who are Christians. Ask them, uh, now tell me about your mediator. Who's, media who's mediating your worship? Ask, your, ask some of your Christian friends. Not only is the, is the doctrine of, of Trinity coming, coming into abeyance and misuse, misunderstanding, abuse, but the term mediator has fallen into, uh, into dis, dis, disuse. We need to bring this back. And I think if we bring back the concept of mediation as, as expressly here and joined upon God's people in a universal, moral, perpetual way, perhaps the church will worship, begin to reform its worship along lines of Christ being the worship leader Christ being the prayer leader, Christ being the victim and uh, the, uh, the, the priest at the table, Christ being the prophet, priest, and king, and the, the only head of the church. And maybe that's a good place to start reforming the churches. Ask people, what about the mediator? Who mediates in, in your church? See what, they, see what they come up with. The last point of the sermon is that Jehovah's holy worship must not be profaned. The, the idea here is that what is holy is separate and special to God. God has pronounced this as something that he prefers over that. The nations have their, their ways. They, they express their wills. They express what they think God is. But it's common. It's a common understanding, maybe conventional wisdom, tradition of the ancestors, something that uh, they delight in by way of beauty and aesthetics. Maybe the music is appealing. And maybe, maybe there's food involved. The, the heathen were also very hedonistic in their, in their excesses with sexuality in that, in that regard. Uh, needless to say, all that is common to the nations. All nations have, uh, 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 have sought many, many inventions as to who God is and how he delights in his worship. Nevertheless, all those are common and so they are profane. The special worship of God is, is determined by himself. All other worship is profane. Profane means made common, like all other nations who forget God. Hewn stones, I mean, symbolically, the work of man's hands. And you're going to see over and over, again, unless God has sanctioned it, yes, I want this tabernacle of this wood, and this should be covered with this brass and this gold, and pomegranates and palm trees and chains of, yeah. If he says it, you may do it, but otherwise 
the work of man's hands, the work of man in redemption, is, it does not qualify. God is not impressed with the strength of a man's legs. He is not impressed with our intellect. He gives us intellect, and so why should he be impressed with his own gift? Tooling the altar stones profanes Jehovah's worship, and that's something that all nations do, and Israel is not to do. Again, is this a moral commandment? No. It, it is a positive law, and God wills it because he's got his reasons, and he doesn't have to explain, except that many of these things are, are, are typology, and we can... If we look at it long enough, we can, we can be, see some sense of it. The people then must worship only at the place appointed by Jehovah. Now, the custom uh, from antiquity is uh, to worship God at high places. And I think that's because Eden, paradise, was situated on a mount. And uh, elevation uh, came to be connoted with uh, spirituality. Read a good book on that. Just uh, read Michael Morales's uh, book on uh, commentary on Deuteronomy. You'll see, you'll see the correlation there. Um, he, the Lord, will help Israel to know where that place is because He will, He will place His name there to be remembered. Now we had a baptism this morning, and, and we, we we heard the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we, when we call to worship, we, we say grace to you and peace from, the, from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the names of God. That tells the elect, that tells the, the seed of God that this is the place where God has placed his name and, the, and here God may be reverently worshipped. Now, other things may, may not be in store, may not be right, but at least that's right. We recognize that this is the place where God has set his name and where God's name is invoked. As is uh, the custom on Sunday, on Sunday evenings, we invoke the name of God, confessing sin uh, and, uh, and praising him and, and adoring him. Worship then only where he causes his name to be remembered. And, and about to be delivered shortly after the Decalogue here is all the statues pertaining to the central tabernacle and its worship. That is to say, you know, the Ark of the Covenant and the lavers of washing, the altar for burning incense, the table peace offerings, etc. Um, now, the major difference here going forward uh, from the patriarchal period is that uh, God's people are now no longer to worship at the high places. And we'll see Solomon make mistakes here uh, because uh, with, with the ark coming to settle, not only in a tabernacle, which is a mobile, a mobile unit, a mobile tent, but with the temple, it's a stationary house of God, there the Lord has chosen Zion. There he's placed his name. That's where the people of God are to uh, worship in terms of a central tabernacle. And uh, to do otherwise is not in keeping with God's perfect will. But Abraham worshipped in high places. Isaac did. Jacob did. Adam certainly did. Okay? Uh, I mentioned that the name that you look for is Jehovah. Um, the covenant name of God. Not just God. Yeah, the nations say, oh yeah, we worship God, we believe in God. It says nothing. Tell me more about who this God is. What is his name? Uh, God, God, his name is, uh, is, is God. No. Ask your friends, what's God's name? If, you, if you're familiar with God, what's his name? God. No. Jehovah initiates his visits. He saw the misery of the Israelites, he saw the misery of Jacob's sons in Egypt, and he came down to inspect. That's a visit. A visit is an inspection. A worship service is a visit. A worship service is an, is an inspection. And he initiates his visits, as with Adam, you know, before sin and after sin. With Noah, he, he regards Noah, and Noah finds grace. With Abraham, calls, he calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and not, Abraham doesn't invoke God and say, hey God, I'd like to travel to you to a new land. You want to help me out? No, 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 no. God initiates the visits. Jehovah comes to his people um, and he comes to his people at his revealed appointed place. And that's why Jehovah told Moses, look, I, 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 after, you, after you come back with my people, 
the Lord promised, I'll, I'll meet you here. This is where we're going to meet. I'll meet you back here on Sinai. And so not just at any high place of man's choosing. Now, the Egyptians were famous for building pyramids, and so they chose the, point, the place where the high place would be. Egypt was exceedingly flat. It's like the Netherlands, a lot of sand. It doesn't have any native high places. But everybody, everybody has to be religious, for crying out loud, they're a world empire. And what world empire doesn't have gods to protect them? And so they made pyramids. They made their own high places. That's everywhere part of the Egyptian culture, and the Jews knew that, and they were, that's part of what they came out of. <coughs> but Mount Sinai is the place. Um, and it's a, it's a high place, all right, but it's, it's, it's a, a place where God's choosing, and they will not return there for worship. It's, it, it is interesting, though, that Elijah does return, doesn't he? Elijah, in running from Jezebel, uh, runs like mad to visit uh, Jehovah and Mount Horeb. The Lord says, Elijah, what are you, do what are you doing here? And basically, he wants to start a new nation. And nobody's left, just me. No, uh, no, you're, you're, you're done. You're done, man. You're, you're burned out. Um, the place of God's choosing is between the cherubim over the ark and the tabernacle. That's his throne. He has elected that to represent his throne. Now, you know, that's ceremonial. But the more element of that is that God is to be worshipped as king, as reigning over all, and that he is enthroned in glory above the highest angels and worshipped there. Uh, it's, it's, a majestic, it's a majestic throne. And uh, at a public assembly, as I mentioned, invoking his name. So Jehovah comes to his people at his revealed and appointed place. That's a moral element in the Old Testament. Jehovah then comes to bless. He, he doesn't come to curse. Now, it doesn't mean he's never angry with his people, but his anger and his wrath are his strange work. He wants very much to bless his people. In Numbers in number 6.24, he insists uh, that the ordinance of God's worship be attended with the blessing, the priest blessing the people. The Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Number 624. So he commands a blessing, and he wants you to believe that that blessing is yours. All other terms of faith, uh, you know, holding. And so we see that since this is a blessing that that Israel is, is truly under a covenant of grace and not of works, and not of works grace. Either it's a pure grace or it's of works. A covenant of works grace is a, is a covenant of works. Jehovah is holy, and he's, and he's infinitely holy, but we see he has a way in his economy of salvation, of redemption, uh, to um, be at peace with his people. And that involves the work of his mediator. And it's pictured here, uh, and I'll speak to that in a second. Uh, wrath and punishment are the Lord's strange works. The people remain. The, the leading feature of Israel, if there's one, look, the Cretans are slow, are the sleep, the Cretans are slow bellies. You know, what does Paul say about them? They're, they're gluttons. They're, uh, I, you know, he really, he really is not. The Apostle Paul was not impressed with the Cretans at all. Their national sin was was there were lazy and slow bellies and all that. The national sin for Israel across many generations is that they were so stiff-necked. And that was a trait. I wonder what our national trait of sin might be. It might be sensuality and worship. It might be selfishness. It might be love of comfort and lack of courage, lack of boldness anymore. I, I don't know what it is. I, I haven't, I, I don't know. I, I know what my sin, my grievous sins are, but I don't, I don't know nationally. But wrath and punishment are the strange works, even in the, with a, a visible church in a wilderness that is, that is real, real trouble. God, with most of them, God was not pleased, and their bodies dropped in the sand, dead. Jehovah then is worshipped and approached through his two appointed sacrifices. Essentially, rock bottom essential God is approached with burnt offerings. These atone for sin by blood. Okay? It's important that this contextualization of sin is 
follows on the heels of the Ten Commandments. Because the Ten Commandments are moral law, they indicate sin in man. They insist on righteousness. They insist that to have fellowship with God, one must be holy. And so when we transgress the law, or when we uh, do not continue in all things to conform, uh, then that is indicated by the law in our members as sin. So burnt offerings are required, or the, the moral element, sin must be atoned for. The sin debt, the sin nature, must be reckoned with. That's number one. Number two is peace offerings under the covenant of grace are enjoined. These are offerings that are mandatory in giving thanks and gratefulness for his saving goodness, his grace. <laughs> and that, my friends, is, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> is a great exercise. And that's why we have a prayer of thanksgiving and supplication uh, because God is due thanks and he's commanded thanksgiving. Again, we don't invent these things. And if churches are not giving thanks to God, they're missing out uh, on an expression of love and peace. Now, also at the Lord's table, we have an emblem of his peace. He, he dines with us. We dine with him. We dine with one another. It shows reconciliation. The effect of reconciliation is peace, peace in conscience, and, and peace outwardly among his people. So these two things are requisite, and they're universal, moral, and perpetual. It has nothing at all to do with the ceremonial, except that they are pictured in the ceremonial here in the Old Testament, because it is the Old Testament. But they carry into the New Testament, and, my friends, the moral element benefits us even into eternity. Blood sacrifice, then, is always required in the Old Testament. Sheep and goat, uh, sheep and oxen are mentioned here. But the important thing here, and a lot of people have, less, have lost this, the context here of the covenant of grace is that we have the Ten Commandments law and we have burnt offerings and the peace offerings being sufficient for friendship with God. We have law and gospel. Law and gospel go forward everywhere, everywhere. The throne of God goes forward. His flaming chariots go forward. The gospel goes forward. The kingdom goes forward. It's law and gospel. And if it's not law and gospel, I don't know whose kingdom it is. The scepter of Christ's kingdom is righteousness. And the law is a testament of the Lord's goodness and right, righteousness. Law and gospel. So is the gospel. And Jesus' righteousness is vindicated in the gospel. Both have to go together. Idols are prohibited because they profane. They make common Jehovah's worship. Jehovah has distinguished his worship. The other nations do not know God. He is, Jehovah has not treated other nations in the way, the peculiar way he's treated his redeemed people, and they are not privy to his friendship. And so they, are, they don't know how to approach him. And that, the whole thing about worship is approaching God and enjoying God. That's what worship is, ascribing worth. But for that, you have to know him. Only those who know God can worship him. And the nations do not worship because they do not know they are. And so they only guess as to what God likes. And they're wrong, because idols are not Jehovah's appointed mediator. The mediator is by God's choosing. Moses here being a type of the mediator, Jesus is the one essential and only mediator. Saints do not mediate. The Virgin Mary doesn't mediate. She's not comediatrix. She is nothing of the sort. That is horrendous heresy. The heathen also use idols to manipulate their gods. And just in case they miss out on, on some other god, they have a, a manifold shelf of gods, and they want to make sure that they don't slight one at the expense of the other. Idols are physical. They're tangible. They, they, they can be hand, they're handled. They're manipulated. Manus. You know, they are manipulated. And God is not manipulated. Idols are lifeless. Idols are speechless. Big difference between the true God and, the, and, and uh, false gods. They're powerless. Why do worship people worship idols? It's, it's complete deception. They're useless. And worse than useless, they're accursed. They have eyes they can't see. They have ears they can't hear. Idols are a lie. A complete lie. And what I mean by idols are statues and paintings and all that as well. It's a lie. Those who worship them, they become like them, says Psalm 115. If you 
are worshiping something that you think is worthy of your, of your consecration, and it's a dead thing, then you, be, then you become more and more dead by it because you are sinning. And, and, and just to show the, the fierceness of his anger and the, and the complete in, uh, inability for idols to do any justice to God's majesty and his preciousness, he condemns silver and gold, some of the most precious elements in the world. Even the finest idols, even the finest craftsmanship, the finest materials, they profane, they profane Jehovah's witness, uh, Jehovah's worship. Okay, profane altars, they're also prohibited, just a fine point. These are common, these are what the nations use, they are unsanctified because they're not consecrated by the word of God. What makes the water baptism acceptable to God? But his word. What makes the preaching of the word of God? And the table, is the table sacred of its own sake? No, the table is sanctified by the word of God, of prayer. The, the, the bread is broken and the word of thanksgiving and the, the prayer of consecration consecrates the, the bread and the wine, and they become instruments of God for, uh, for, the, for our spiritual use. They become means of grace by God's blessing, but they have nothing intrinsic to them that are of, of any value to us spiritually, except by God's word. And uh, profane art, 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 altars are, are not sanctified because God has not spoken that word concerning that, and of course he has condemned it. They are unapproved by God by Jehovah God. Earth and altar is mandated. If it's a stone, you can't manipulate the stones. It can't be hewn stones. And, uh, and here's, an, here's an interesting note. Again, uh, with the notes of Deuteronomy and all the high places, um, no steps are to be used. There's no, an as, there's no ascent to the throne of God by steps, or an altar like that, by steps. And that is a feature uh, of the, uh, some of the most uh, uh, ornate uh, uh, pagan uh, pageantries of worship. I mean, the Aztecs went up and up and up. You see, you've, seen, you've seen pictures of them. Their temples, oh, they're all, all the Mayan temples everywhere pictured. You can see that. The Egyptians had the same thing. Many, many, the, you know, the pagoda, the Chinese pagoda, many, many of the, of the nations have a step descent. And, of course, we sang a hymn about the ascent but the ascent is not physical. <laughs> the ascent is spiritual, and if you ascend and show any flesh, uh, the priest lifting his leg and showing a, a, a fleshly member of his body, the Lord detests it, because God is to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Again, ceremonial, but you have the gist of it in the moral commandment. So Jehovah, your God, is a most holy spirit. You must worship him only in the manner in which he himself commands, and always through a mediator. Now, my friends, here we have, we must be humble, and the meek will receive this instruction. And the high-minded say, well, I don't This is so common. This is, this is so simple. Why, we can't, why can't we have something beautiful? Why can't we have, God is majestic. Why can't we give him tribute to a, as a, as a high king? Well, he doesn't need all that, and he doesn't want all that. He wants all kinds of people, even people without resources, to to worship him in the simplicity of spirit and truth. And whenever he visits his church, uh, he, he, we, want him to, we want him to draw near to us, and we do not want to grieve him as he comes near to us, especially on the Lord's Day. And we need to go to him at the place he has chosen. He sets his name there. His name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, and the church invoking his name, uh, and the fellowship of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We, we do so always in the name of a mediator. I, I'm very quick, as if I lead in the prayer of adoration, to mention our approach is always through His Son, the mediator, uh, and, and his, gracious, his gifts and His graces. That's all our confidence. That's all our boasting. The mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing that the, the Jehovah God is gracious, that he, that, he, that he means a blessing to you, that he wants to, to help you in every way to enjoy uh, your presence and for you to enjoy his presence. Uh, announcing peace because he is reconciled by the blood of the mediator. He is truly at peace. And, uh, if, and he does not have, he's not at war with you if you are a Christian uh, in Christ. 
Um, he delights in you, Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross being sufficient. He wants you to come into his gates of thanksgiving, his courts with praise, uh, because the peace offering uh, is, is ready, and the feast is ready, and all we need to do is sit down, and we'll carve up the roast, and we'll pass the wine and bread, and it will be uh, a rejoicing. And so we need to be listening carefully to when he speaks to us in his living voice in the scripture. It's a living word, and in the preached word, uh, and that word must always contain law and gospel. The house of God is to be a house of prayer. It's not to be a house of commerce, not to be a house of entertainment. It's to be a house of dialogue between God's people and Jehovah God, and facilitated by, not mediated, because that's Christ, facilitated on earth, somehow, hopefully a minister or an elder, uh, and without any visible representation of his person, not in felt or velcro, not in paintings, not in statues, nothing, because God is a spirit. He's very zealous to present himself that way. And if it were helpful for us to see any other image, he would provide it. There are plenty of people that knew how to paint and draw, many artisans. None of that is provided in the Bible. None of that uh, God has asked for. And if it's not asked for, then it's profane if we present it. Worshiping only as Jehovah has instructed you. That's, if, if, it's enough for, it's, if it's sufficient for Jehovah in a prayer meeting, uh, as, as a worship service is, it should be sufficient for you. If God is delighted, then why aren't you? God is happy. We should be happy if God accepts it. Who are we to say, oh, no, let's do something different? Because you're not pleased, the creature. Despising all confidence in the flesh, including our own massive brains. You know, the Lord has made man upright, but he's sought many devices, many substitutes for God. But we need to make sure that we have the true and living God when we worship. 1 Corinthians 1 Verse 30 and 31, Christ has made for us wisdom, sanctification, redemption, salvation. In the mediator, we have all that we need uh, to be acceptable to God, especially to draw near to God as he draws near to us when he visits. That's all our boast. All our boast is in the mediator, the only head of the church, the Lord Jesus. All other flesh does not avail. God is worshiped in spirit and truth as Jesus leads. Now, my friends, to facilitate that, we have uh, a, a, essentially a, a peace meal, a peace offering. You might say the, the meal is a, is a friendship meal, and it's, a, and it's an emblem of God's peace, of his love, of his abiding with us as friends. And so uh, it's a perfect adjunct uh, for uh, a sermon of this type uh, to encourage us, uh, to further build us up, to remind us that he's already received us, that all your works are acceptable to God already because they are received through the mediation of Christ, especially your worship. God receives your worship when you, uh, when you yield that worship th uh, through his son, the Lord Jesus. Let's see, have the elders come up and we'll have the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> some weight, but I don't think I can fit back there, guys. You know, this is really wild. All right. I don't need to be fitting back there. Uh, I've already mentioned that uh, in the sermon. All that is enjoined in coming to the table. You must be in covenant with God. You must have his name. That's baptism. Uh, you must be one who uh, claims friendship with God. And know that your sin is forgiven for his dear son's namesake. And that you, Drew, have peace with God 
Sometimes your conscience is at peace. That's a gift, and that's, we cherish those moments. Sometimes not, but by faith, we say, Lord, whatever's, whatever reconciliation I don't sense, help my unbelief, help, help, help my obedience, but I need your nutrition, I need your grace, I will advance on the Lord's table. He wants you, he wants you to draw near because he's drawn near to you. Now, in drawing near, you dare not be presumptuous in sin. If it's your, if you're, if it's your design and intention to remain in sin, even if it's in one sin, even if it's one sin, do not come to this table. But if it's your resolve to, do, to, to, to be rid of sin and, uh, and uphold again and confirm your baptism, to war against the world of flesh and Satan, to, and to, 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 to be the Lord's consecrated creature, taking his name, this table is for you. All right? And uh, by the institution, I'm always going to read it. Paul writes to the Corinthians, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, but the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you and do this in remembrance of me. See the thanksgiving is the element of the peace offering you see. He's going to present his body and blood later but he already has it in view as he gives thanks to God in peace. In the same way he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is an ordinance. Remembering is an ordinance. The, the supper is an ordinance. The church proclaiming his death till he comes is an ordinance. If you're a Christian, you must come. You are out of season and out of step if you don't. And I need to talk to you if you don't. But this is for you. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. There's the constraint that we read from larger catechism. This is a scriptural constraint. And then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body. Eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that's why many of you are, are weak and ill. Some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, that is to say, if we saw, okay, we're sinners. We, Paul says, I have, not that I have attained. Paul never attained the right. It's in, in the spirit by faith, we wait for the hope of righteousness. Luther said, we don't even have the hope of righteousness. We're waiting to even hope properly. And his commentary, Galatians. And yet he, he loved the Lord's Supper. Okay. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment. That's why many of you are sick. But if we judged ourselves truly, Lord, I'm a sinner. I don't have perfect faith. Help me and help my unbelief. That's, that's the, the confession of one who is worthy. And when then, uh, we will not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, it's, the show's not over. We're disciplined that we not be condemned along with the rest of the world. And so you see, this is a gracious table, and the Lord is a gracious king. And he wants every, in every way to bless you and to strengthen you. And so keep that in mind, and let that be your, your nutrition, your thanks, your peace. Enjoy the Lord. Now, God, we pray that you would indeed uh, separate and sanctify these very common elements, these profane elements, used by everywhere in the world. For their own purposes, but we pray that you would use this bread and this wine for your purpose at this table at this time. We pray that uh, we might know the fruitfulness of this ordinance. We might sense your help in it, that our souls would prosper, that we would be as fatted sheep, contented to sit under our shepherd. Do this for your own glorious, glorious name's sake, we pray. Amen.